The next morning, I'm sat in the office and um, this email comes through and he said, we'd like to cancel because we want to increase the order <gasps> and we want to launch you across the UK all in one go, but only if you give us exclusivity to the end of the year. There is one thing, though. Please take your time in getting the packaging sorted. <laughs> <laughs> This is Lick the Plate. I'm your host, Cameron Bernard-Jones. Husband and wife team Paramjit and Bruce Nagra are the co-founders of the gin brand Crazy Gin. They are both first-generation British Indian of Punjabi heritage and are based in the Midlands. I felt so honored for them to drive down to London to have this chat with me. They shared so much of their journey, not only of their gin-making business venture, but also of their family histories and personal experiences, living in Britain, growing up in Indian households, and integrating both cultures in their everyday lives. When I first started this, I only had in mind friends and family because they would be the easiest. But I just thank you for both being so open to, A, come down to a different part of the country and just share your stories with me, with us. Because I, again, like you said, food brings people together. And I'm so interested in people's stories when it's linked to food and the diversity that comes with it. And not just food, the food we eat, but the things we drink as well, which I include to be in in all of that. So it means a lot. Thank you. Oh, no, thank you for having us. We absolutely um, love Lick the Plate. I just love the way that you are so passionate about food and drink. Your guests are passionate and you've taken away the snobbery and you've just made it a lot more accessible because I've learned a lot. There's cuisines that your guests you're asking questions like I don't even know what that is but now it's got my my curiosity going and I want to go and learn and that's how you widen your horizon so it's amazing what you do thank you thank you thank you so gin is my favorite spirit (laughs) but it took me a while to get there I I want to say gin became my favorite spirit probably back in 2015 14 15 and the first gin I had was Bombay Sapphire on a flight I think it was on Virgin Atlantic from New York to London. And suddenly it was as if my palate just said, yeah, we like it now. <laughs> we like it now. <laughs> so it is still to this day my go-to. But I want to know, is it your favorite spirit? How did you get into it? Tell me, like, what's the origin? It all started on a drunken Friday night. We were sitting at home. I was on my third or fourth Disarano and Coke. Yep. Bruce was halfway through a bottle, bottle of... A bottle of red wine. <laughs> and we were both watching MasterChef Australia and really hungry, and we both craved Indian food. But it was also on the Heston week. So obviously okay. it had to be the one where it's real, the creativity is like amped right up. Yeah. And then we were just like, can't bother to cook anything. Both sets of parents lived really far away. We were just like, we'll order an Indian takeaway. And when it arrived, it was the saddest looking Indian takeaway. And to this day, I can still hear that plastic box as I'm opening the lid. And there's this very long piece of coriander that's just like stuck to the top of that lid. And you're just like, no, this isn't Indian food. This isn't what we eat. And it just made me, I think because we were drunk, you're not, you're not thinking a certain way. And we're just like, if you're not Indian, I bet people think that's the 
Mm-hmm. It was essentially a random raid. Yeah. <laughs> we were just like, oh my God, is this what people uh, think of us as a culture? And those from the culture, is this what you think is possible? Mm. And then we were just like, growing up, our parents, well, our mothers, used to bring the best of British and Indian cuisine together through us by cooking. So they would get things like a, a, spa, um, a tin of spam from the cupboard and they'd open it up and they would turn it into the most delicious sabji which is like a, a dry Indian dish and we'd have that with chapatis so meat for us growing up was either for the men that worked in the foundries yeah. or it was for guests and women and children came quite far down the list having that kind of food so tinned meat was accessible or if we wanted a full English fry up the beans had to be spiced up, the ginger, the onions, the garlic, everything was coming out. The yes. chi- well, chilies for me now, not so much when I was little, to just add that oomph yes. of flavour. You need it for beans. I've oh, said yeah. it on another episode. You need it for beans. People spice up your beans. <laughs> will... I, yeah, don't just crack open the tin and off you go. No, 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 no. <laughs> That's also, you do, do you find if you heat your beans in the microwave compared to on the cooker, they taste different? Because I do. Okay, yes. So now I only cook beans on the stovetop. Yes. When I first came to this country, okay, so in the States, beans are eaten as a dinner thing or like a barbecue thing. But beans for breakfast, obviously, is very quintessentially British, right? So, you know, I love beans anyway, so I started eating for breakfast. But I just thought, well, why am I going to dirty up a pot? (laughs) I used to think the same. I'm just going to dump it in a bowl. And I still would season it but heat it up in the microwave. And then my husband started cooking it on the stovetop. And I was like, oh, this just tastes different. I have to have it on the So I can't, I, I have not turned back to the microwave for beans. So for me, I, th- I don't know if it's the sauce starts thickening up a little bit. And I have to have a little knob of butter in it as well. So even if I don't spice it up, I'm in a rush. That little knob of butter just adds a bit more creaminess to my oh, beans. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, we're on the same wavelength. <laughs> we can have it. We can have breakfast together. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. So thinking about those um, different dishes our parents made, I just looked at Bruce and I was just like, "Did your mom ever experiment with drinks?" And he was just like, "No." And I said, "Neither did mine." It, they always focused on bringing the different cultures together through food. And that's where the idea to create a British Indian drink just just started. We had no intention of making it. So it was just literally, how could we showcase the best of being first-generation British Indians Mm. and, more importantly, showing Punjab, which is in northern India. India is so vast, and I'm so fed up of people getting one ingredient and saying, or one dish and saying, this is representative of an entire nation. It's so not. So that's all we wanted to do. It's like, I wanted to open my front door and say, this is what authentic Indian flavours are, and this is our twist on it, because... I don't know how it is for you. I feel like when we go to India, we're not fully accepted because we were born in Britain, because we were born over here. But over here, sometimes you get people looking at you and going, but you're not really English, are you? You're British. So it's about creating your own identity. And the world's a much smaller place now. So it's about celebrating that melting pot. So that's, yeah, how it all started. And I think also what really helped with the kind of like getting those creative juices flowing it was we were drunk on a friday <laughs> angry at this takeaway and on top of that it was the euro millions rollover so okay. we're like what if we win that ticket for 180 million tonight and yes of course we don't want to share that ticket so let's say we just assume we that. which is a conversation we've all had and we were like well okay so money's not an object 
Where wow. would we begin? And again, thinking about how India is just so vast, so different. You travel an hour in any direction, dialect changes, food changes, culture changes. And uh, we start thinking, well, we're Punjabi, North Indian. Mm-hmm. So I can't tell you anything about Central India, South India, West India. I don't know. But we could talk about our journey as uh, British Punjabi. And we start thinking, well, our grandparents were all farmers. Okay. And one of the key drinks that they always used to have was lassi. Lassi is just a yogurt drink. Okay. So you eat yogurt, a bit of water, and then you can spice it or sweeten it. So mango lassi is probably the more common one people have heard of. So we thought, well, what do you need to make lassi? Yogurt. Great. Let's start with yogurt. This is literally how it started because watching Heston on TV and thinking, <laughs> okay, it was like the kitchen, you're like the kitchen cupboard challenge on MasterChef. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, All right, yogurt. Okay, what's the next thing we want? All right, what's the base of our parents cooking? Uh, we call it a torka, which is kind of like the base that you have, which is, always has like turmeric, coriander, and black pepper. Okay. So great. That goes in. And we thought, okay, well, we want a bit of sweetness. Um, pomegranate. Great. Because all these ingredients are like key to Indian food. And then we thought, we wanted that kind of like smokiness, kind of almost like kind of grown up element. Mm-hmm. And we thought black cumin. Because a lot of people used to normal cumin, but black cumin gives a completely different profile. Describe the flavors of black cumin. It's slightly more perfumey when you smell it. It's kind of like um, a slightly more, slight bitter note, but it's kind of like adds like a depth of almost like a smokiness to the gin. And uh, we thought to ourselves, all right, great. See, we sat and thought about it. We thought we just made a yellow milkshake. That sounds awful. It's like, why would we do that? And also, we're like, but that's really Indian. We're not 100% Indian. We're British Indians. There's two parts of us. So, how do we showcase the Britishness? And then we're just looking and like, our grandparents didn't drink alcohol, but we do. Can you imagine if we could create? all of this into an alcoholic spirit. And that's where the cog started turning. And it it wasn't that we started off thinking, oh, let's make a gin. Okay. So we've got these ingredients. Great. Okay. Um, It's a yellow milkshake. Sounds awful. I don't think I'd want to drink that. Um, But hold on. What would Heston do? As we're watching him on TV, he make it look like water. Great, let's make it look like water. We've got no idea this is possible or not. And And to put it into context, we... We've never worked in hospitality at that point. We'd never worked in drinks. So I used to work for the Met Police as a project manager. I love food and drink. Yeah, I was a building manager for universities and hospitals. So we had no idea that when you distill, you don't take the colour over. So for us, we're sitting there thinking, yes, we're onto something. It's a magic box. We're going to turn turmeric and we're going to turn yoghurt into water and blow people's minds. And then it turned into, okay, great. So we want to bring out British element of growing up. Okay, we're making a spirit. What spirit do we use? We thought, well, first of all, we weren't, we were definitely not going to touch whiskey. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Why not? Um, I think there's that, there's that uh, thing about whiskey where you can't touch it. It's like that protected product. I it's see. very expensive. It's refined. And there's still an element of it when people think of the Indian food. Apart from calling it fine dining, it's usually considered cheap, cheap oh. fast food. A bit like Chinese food. You always say, let's quickly get something quick to eat. Yeah. It's And we thought, well, we don't want it to be clouded by someone's judgment over the spirit. 
So we thought, and also the whiskey probably wouldn't have worked with the flavor profile. We thought about rum, and we thought, well, rum doesn't really work with the flavors if you think about the yogurt and the turmeric. And then we thought, well, vodka doesn't really add anything. <laughs> Because it would just be all these flavors, but no balance. And then we start thinking about gin. If you think about gin, all these different flavors, there's a reason. And that comes down to, now that we understand, it's how the juniper balances flavors and bridges gaps, which is why gin has all these amazing flavors. And it's kind of changed up people's perceptions of flavors in drinks. Mm -hmm. Why not try this? Why not try that? And we also thought, well, if you think gin, you go back to the time of the East India uh, Company, Gin and tonics invented in India. Yep. You can't get any perfect than this, so let's make it a gin. And uh, that's kind of where it all went from these random series of conversations. And, and then, then full credit to Bruce, because I thought it was a drunken idea and I woke up on Saturday going about, I've got to clean the house, got to do the shopping. I'm like, you're not getting out of bed. What, what, what are you doing? And he's sitting on his laptop and he's just like, I wonder, I'm trying to see if someone's made this drink because I just want to buy a bottle. Get in, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, get it in the basket. I and it, it wasn't even a case of, I hope someone hasn't made it. I was like, I really hope I'm not the, we're not the only ones who thought like this. We can't be, come on. There's a, so many Indians in this country. So Someone else must have thought of it. And if I can find it, I will buy it right now. Couldn't find it. And I thought, well, ah, okay. Is it because you can't do it? And then I went down the rabbit hole. (laughs) (laughs) Four hours later, I'm like, oh, I came across somebody that made a cream gin. And I was like, well, cream? Yogurt? (laughs) Can't be that different different from doing the the same. And then I I looked into it and I thought, well, these guys are distillers. Mm Mm-hmm. And we thought, what the hell? I'm going to send him an email. I'll ask him a couple of questions. One, can this be done? And two, how much would it cost? Because you just want to put the, float the boat out there, see, see is this possible or not? And they came back and they said, you need uh, lab equipment. So it's called rotary evaporators. Okay. So it's not what you think of like copper stills. And so, so, so we reached out to these guys and uh, they said, yes, we can do it. And I think one of the key triggers for us to kind of pulled the trigger and just go ahead with it was a few years earlier my my dad was a typical Indian dad and I'm guessing with other cultures as well where he lived to retire mm. and especially living in England you can't always guarantee what the weather's going to be like outside but he was always of the mindset when I retire sod the lot of you I am spending six months in India when there's sun there <laughs> and it's bearable and when it's too hot or too cold I'll come back to UK yeah. and um so when he retired, only a few weeks after, he was diagnosed with uh, multi-neurons disease, MND, and uh, passed away within six months. Mm. So one of the things that always kind of stuck with myself and Paramjit was, he. this is someone who lived his life to retire, to enjoy. The moment he retired, he passed away. So where was his enjoyment? And you never know how short life is. Fortunately and unfortunately, it was upon us. He went to India because the, the doctor said, if there's anything you want to do, go and do it now. And his mm. dad was still alive and his sister was out there. And he said, I, I just want to go and see them for the last time and then I'm going to come back. And then he went and then he never came back. And then and, and we were like, okay. He went with Bruce's brother and then his sister-in-law was just like, well, don't worry, I'm, I'll go. I'll bring him back. He can get on the plane with me. And then she came back and he was like, I want to spend a little bit longer. And then a day after his insurance, medical insurance ran out, he fell ill in India and no one else could go out there because they'd just 
been, so they needed to get another visa. So Bruce and I were meant to go for five days to go there, get him ready, bring him back. We were there for four weeks trying to get him well enough. And we were able to, at the end, get him well enough to come back. So there were all these emotions about being in India, seeing that culture, seeing mm-hmm. dad, legacy, and it really was life. Life, life is, we don't know what's around the corner for any of us. And I, I think for me, one of the hardest moments was on the day that we were about to fly back, was watching my dad say goodbye to his dad. So I was literally watching a parent say goodbye to his child, knowing that you're going to outlive them and you've never seen your child again. And it was, and especially as a grandson, watching this interaction happen, it was heartbreaking to see. And mm. it, it just kind of always stuck with us to think, do you know what? It, it's such a horrible situation, but the only positive I can take from this, you know, you not you never know what's around the corner. Correct. You don't know how long you're going to be on this earth or anything like that. So that's for us was like, we didn't really particularly like our jobs. Okay. <laughs> and we were just like, well, this is an opportunity to try something different. And do you know, if it fails, it fails. But at least on those final moments, we could say, we wouldn't live with that regret. If, oh, if only we tried it. Oh. If only we just took that leap of faith. And uh, yeah, that's kind of where it went from. But everyone wasn't as enthusiastic about idea as both of us. So when we told our immediate friends and family, <clears throat> a lot of them called us Bargal. Bargal is the Punjabi word for crazy. We were both in our mid to late 30s. They were thinking grandchildren mm. what we need you to settle down have a family not set up a new business venture and there was something about that word bargle crazy that just stayed with us and we were we were just thinking are we the crazy ones for having a vision and saying do you know what it's a calculated risk and we'll go for it or are people that are calling us crazy that are actually really unhappy with what they're doing and living for the weekend Talk are they it. the crazy ones and that's where the name Crazy Gin came from. So at the beginning, a lot of people would say to us, so what's so crazy about this? Is it going to blow my socks off? And it was, it was never about to get you drunk. It was, a, it, was, it was deemed a crazy idea to go and do something on your terms and to create something that's never been made before. You need those people. Mm-hmm. You need those people to be innovative because then more and more people start doing it. And that's why the world's so colourful and vibrant because we're not all doing the same old, same old. Oh, this is so inspiring. But I think an- an- another thing that for me crazy really embodies is you can have a bit of a laugh. Yeah. You're going to enjoy it. Like, why is everyone so serious about the term <laughs> crazy? It's like, I remember growing up, crazy used to be like, oh, that, that's a crazy one over there. And then, oh, that'd be the fun one. Let's go uh, play with them over there. And it was that thing of crazy should be, do you know what, just live a little. Yeah. And even to the point where Later on in the brand, we started to use pink as a color mm-hmm. because pink's always seen. Oh no, that's a feminine color. Yeah, how we see pink? That's playful and fun. So we embodied the pink. So we took the pink. And that's a crazy element. So that's that's our fun. That's our playfulness. Because if you're drinking and you, when I always say it's brand new, when we launched it, it's like a lot of people who were trying out gin. It's so serious. So they sat there almost like that typical sommelier kind mm-hmm. of like. Very Quite serious things, yeah, yeah. yes. Mm. I taste this and <laughs> uh, tobacco and things. I've never drank tobacco, so I couldn't <laughs> tell you if that's what I taste. And they forget that it's all those memories that you have in associations. It was like, these are the wrong people to sit and drink with. Well, yeah, I want to yeah, drink yeah, with yeah. someone. I want to have a good laugh, good time. Are they, are they enjoying it? So for us, that uh, that's what crazy also embodied.
it was 2016 that your first gin, the Lassie Gin, was launched. When when did that? When was that drunken night? What year was that? So that was kind of like um, latter part of 2015. Okay. So it's around about, I can't remember, it's about November-ish. And then what happened was we had this drunken idea and then going back and forth with this distillery. Okay. And um, we kind of just set up a company on Company's House on Jan- in January of 2016. It was just like, let's go for it. And then uh, we said to the guys... Because in my mind, I'm thinking, I don't know how long things take. Right. When, you, when you Google it, they say it could take six months to a year. Uh, I'm, I'm the most impatient person you'll come across. I'm like, why can't we do this by next week? Like, I mean, so ca- this this came around Quick. relatively fast well, with the launch. Yeah. Well, from the launch took a bit longer. So what happens from engaging the distillery in January of 2016, uh-huh. I think we pretty much had our final uh, flavors within about three months. The distillers went away and they created a flavor map and some exa- uh, sample gins. Mm-hmm. And the key thing for us was always turmeric because turmeric's a love-hate relationship. Uh, you get it wrong, it's very bitter, it's not pleasant. Yeah, medicinal, I keep hearing, yeah. you know, if it's yeah. too too Metallic-y, much. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> but if you get it right, just on, it's a bit like salt. Mm-hmm. It's it's just there to elevate it, but you shouldn't really taste it too much, if that makes sense. Yeah. And uh, so we had, uh, oh gosh, I remember the first ever tasting. So it was a bar in central London we couldn't and the other thing was there were two of us we couldn't just go with two people we needed an odd number otherwise we would be forever we, we were thinking I like this I like that yeah. and we'll go. so we took Bruce's brother <laughs> brother along <laughs> with us as the chief taster because we needed someone independent to join us so we all rushed to uh, the bar just before it opened around five o'clock mm-hmm. and bear in mind I've been rushing we'd all been rushing around so we hadn't eaten and we didn't know what to expect. Never done a tasting in our life. We just like, oh, we spent all this money. Oh, what, what's going on? So we sat down in this bar in the basement and um, <laughs> the distiller comes around and said, right, we've got eight samples. But what we'll do, we'll start with eight straight neat. So you're going to taste eight neat. Eight as a martini, eight as a um, gin and tonic. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, yes! Like uh, by, by, by number two or three, I, I was the I was the note taker. I've got the book at home somewhere. The note started so neat and let it, you know you could really read them, and towards the end it was just scribbles here and there. All over the paper, and I remember Pam said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, it's number one." I go, "Well, two minutes ago you said it was number three. <laughs> my brother said, "No, it's number four. We had, I said we only had three, uh, so it's kind of going around. But we had our first sample uh, sample taste, and we kind of narrowed it down. And then we had three more tastings after that before we had the final product. Mm. And even with the final product, food was so important. I remember asking my mom to make her lamb curry. And then we brought it from Gravesend in Kent in a Tupperware box. And I brought it all the way to the bar in um, in, in, in the city, Old Street, yeah. Street. And we were like, can you please heat this up? Because for us, it was about whatever we make. It was for us, I need it to go one with food so people can just sit together and enjoy and just create new memories. So there was this, that bar served no food at that time. And there was this <laughs> yes. aroma of lamb curry coming out. Well, they like, heard the ping of the microwave. Oh, yeah. I custom like, they do food here. <laughs> <laughs> and his red Tupperware box, they go, that's a strange plate. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and then um, it was just a chance meeting. I I'm a big believer in karma and fate. And when you're on the right path, I feel things just start slotting into place. So we were really fortunate that when we had that finalized 
bottle we had we chose the bottle we wanted. we had one bottle one label that went through an inkjet printer because we were like what is it going to look like and then there was an opportunity that they were the um, people that were making it for us they had a meeting for something completely different in Harvey Nichols and they were like would you like us to take the bottle and i immediately was like no because I'm a perfectionist. And I was just like, no, this is going to be embarrassing. What are they going to think of us? Th- this is just a piece of A4 paper from the... This is not going to look professional. This is Harvey Nichols. Double sticky tape. Dark Whereas Bruce tape. is very different from me. And he was like, hell yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> in my mindset was like, look, it was never on the radar. When family, friends and family say, who's going to stock it? Which corner shop's going to stock it? I literally was thinking, well, we all start somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we had a corner shop. And yeah. we used to think, right, once it's finished, we will go up to him and say, what do you think of this product? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, well, what's the worst that's going to happen? They'll say no. And hopefully we'll get some feedback. And what's the upside? They list it. And so we, we, we actually remember the day that it was going there. So what happened was... Um, I think it was like midweek, like a it was like a Thursday, I think. We um, were too nervous to go yeah. home, so we were like, we, we were went Crystal to Crystal Palace, Palace <laughs> and there used to be a, a shop. I don't know if it's still there called no, Pizza gone, yeah. at the Palace, and we sat there, oh, and we ordered a pizza, and we were and we, we were just sitting by the window, and it was it was a really nice. I remember it was really really bright, and we're just just waiting for that phone call. Mm. Just wait. I remember he said the meeting was like half four. So we're thinking, oh, it's gone about half five. He must have done his meeting now. And we sat there, can't really eat. So the the, the guy who runs the pizza palace, obviously he's thinking, is something wrong here? <laughs> <laughs> they look far too nervous. Is something wrong with the pizza? <laughs> and um, I remember then the phone rang. And as I answered the phone, uh, he ca- the guy called me whilst he's on his scooter. Couldn't hear a thing. I kind of could you at least pull over (laughs) we've just dumped our life savers into this on the hope of this happening and he was like "Um, great news they love the product even better news they said they'll stock it I'm like yeah this is awesome he said well calm down they'll probably only take two bottles seriously I got got two bottles don't care before this conversation it was zero bottles I I was going to a corner shop (laughs) I love your positivity. That's, oh, yes. <laughs> and from there, um, we then said, uh, can you at least introduce us to the bio? Mm-hmm. And this is where he got uh, even more comical because so we introduced to the bio. I said, hi, I'm Bruce uh, uh, from Crazy Gin. So excited that you're interested in the gin. We'd love to meet you for a coffee. Because for us, it's always extending that olive branch. It's how we've been brought up. It's not, don't do things by email, just telephone. Just go meet someone. Yeah. Um, and he's like, yeah, come and meet me. Uh, and it was a Costa Coffee uh, by uh, the head office in Chiswick. Okay. So great. I said to Pramjit, he's meeting about three o'clock. Can you get out of work early? I don't know. Just say anything. I used to start my contract really early in the day so I could finish early. And so we, we, we get them. We're trying to imagine what would someone from Harvey... I can't afford to shop there. <laughs> I'm thinking, what would they dress like? I'm thinking suit, everything. That's and, the image we've got. Yeah. There's someone going to be all suited and booted. Yeah, and I would have thought the same. coming <laughs> yeah. in. Like, brace yourself. Came in the most hipster way that you could think. Trench coat, everything. I'm thinking... Um, Yeah, he's like, oh, hey, how you doing? So we went upstairs and uh, got him a coffee, sat down. And as you can tell, we like to talk. I was just going to say. So so what happened was he didn't talk. He just sat there. And I thought, okay, so the nerves kick in. And after about 30 minutes, he just looked at me and goes, got another meeting, got to shoot. And he did the gun thing. 
Nice to meet you. <laughs> I think, well, that's never a good sign. Like the two fingers, like a gun. It's like, that's not good. And he left and we just looked at each other. Thought, How stupid are we? We were in Harvey. How did we talk ourselves out? We literally convinced. We just talked ourselves out of the uh So the we deal. spent, with no feedback from, from the man, we spent 20 minutes just in a mournful state in the coffee shop, just oh, going, no. should not have said that. Maybe if I hadn't said that, that would have been better. Da, 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 da. Dissected this conversation in our heads and that you should have said that. Why, <laughs> why did I say that? What am I doing? Um, we went home and we were like, huh, right, tomorrow when I come back from work, I really will go to the corner shop because uh, I think we blew that one. And he's, mm. like, and he's like, it is what it is, what are you going to do? Um, the next morning, I'm sat in the office and um, this email comes through and he said, yeah, we'd like to cancel that order. And he left a bit of space. I think who leaves a space in an email? And I thought, oh, we'd like to cancel because we want to increase the order <gasps> and we want to launch you across the UK all in one go, but only if you give us exclusivity to the end of the year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you'll say yes to anything. <laughs> Whatever. And uh, and then he did say, there is one thing, though. Please take your time in getting the packaging sorted. <laughs> yes. Okay, Double so we got back to reality. Yeah. <laughs> we got back to reality. So he's, like, he's like, just take your time. And that was actually in, um, I think it was around July. And at that point, you need your alcohol license to sell. So we were still sat with our lovely HMRC, uh, waiting for things to come through. So we couldn't actually do anything. And then by the time we got it, our official launch date was the 28th of October, 2016 in Knightsbridge. Lake the plate. Lake the plate. Lake the plate. Lake the plate. It was absolutely mind-blowing. In those first six months of launching, not only did we manage to get listed across all of Harvey Nichols nationwide, we got our first Michelin star restaurant, Vinit Bhatia, um, London, in Sloan Square then. We got um, the Taj Hotel listed us. And then things just took a nosedive. I like let... six, yeah, six months in. <laughs> again, I go into the office. Cause what would happen is we had somebody distill for us. Okay. So evenings, weekends, we had to travel up and down the country, trying to sell the gin, get people excited about it. And one day I come into the office and an email comes through and it's the distiller saying that they've changed their business model. And they said, we're no longer contract distilling for anyone. So here's your six weeks notice. Mm. You have to figure it out yourself. And I was like, how do I explain that to Paramedic? Like, oh my God, our life savings just gone. But it's also that element of we're letting all these people down. We felt embarrassed. We were just like, how do you turn up to Harvey Nichols and the restaurants and say, thank you so much for having faith in our product and stocking it. And now we're saying, but we've got no more gin to give you. It and was... It was Yeah, it was just that kind of real gut punch, like that sucker blowing me mm. thinking... Oh my lord! What do I do? So when I got home and I told Paramjit, we were both just like, just like John, like the energy's ripped out of your body, and you're thinking panic. And we thought we've just lost our life savings of what little we had, and we're thinking, right. And then is that moment we just sat there and we thought, well, hold on. If in six months we've done this, now I said, hear me out. <laughs> what if we quit our jobs, sell the house, move back to the Midlands, move in with my mom? And the Midlands, like, it doesn't matter where you distill in the country, realistically. It's not going to change the flavor. It's not provenance. We're not specifically getting ingredients from different parts of the country. So we're like, it doesn't make a difference being in London or in the Midlands. Okay. But it'd be more affordable in the Midlands. So if we move back, take all that cash and pump it in the business, what's the worst that can happen? 
Uh, we thought we'd go broke. <laughs> so we were broke anyway. <laughs> we'll just go back to getting jobs. Okay. And within that six weeks, we were like, let's go for it. And so we put the house up for sale <laughs> that following week. We gave our notes at work. And then we realized we don't know how to use the equipment, nor do we have any equipment. So we had to find the best equipment we could. So we spoke to the manufacturer. They had a six-month waiting list. I got six weeks, not six months. I really need it now. And they were like, you can't can't bump along the queue. And I was thinking, surely there's a chemical company that must have like put in a big order. They're not going to miss two. And they were like, uh, and I kept talking at them until they were like, all right, fine. <laughs> so they, they took two machines off of somebody else's order, gave them to us. Oh, look at that. And we were, I think we were possibly one of the first distilleries in the UK to actually have that specific machine. And it was so new into the world of kind of food and drink mm -hmm. that we went through and we had every error possible. <laughs> we ended yeah. up working with them so closely that they found all the fixes and they're like, this is great. We've got like a little knowledge base of stuff that goes wrong. And um, yeah, so we did, uh, so we had the machine, had the equipment. And then we also realized that how, even though we're not from hospitality, it's quite easy to pick through the kind of BS where people just make up stuff mm, to sound it. like the exper experts. <laughs> and it's a lot of that. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that took a long time to try and find somebody that actually had the skill set to work with lab equipment, okay. understood the science, but also how to make a drink. And then we came across um, a good friend of ours now, Stu Bale, who owns a place called Crucible London, which is like, the most experimental lab you could think of for drinks. And he came all the way down to, to, to the Midlands in Wolverhampton and helped us set up the machine and everything. And then that was the first visit he made. The second visit, he came the following week and he said, good news, bad news. I was like, oh my God, I'm so used to this up and down roller coaster. I just start with the bad. He said, I can't help you no more. I go, why did you travel? <laughs> that's that's not that's not good news. That well, I, what am I supposed to do? You can't possibly have any good news. Uh, why can't you work for us? Because he's working for another distillery. He wasn't allowed to uh, work for another gin brand. Uh -huh. And I was thinking, well, you possibly can't be any decent good news that's going to help us. And he said, my friend's on the way down. He's going to help you. I think that's great, but I don't know your friend. I don't know you. <laughs> and then this was kind of like our angel on the shoulder. Amazing. And this guy, his name's Ali, uh, Ali Kelsey. Mm -hmm. And he just revolutionized everything for us because we had the old recipe, made it, everything. It was the, we followed the recipe of the old distillers and the gin turned out horrendous. So before we left, I, I, I took my notebook, I took my pen. We, we made sure our phone memory was completely blank. Mm -hmm. We filmed the process. We wrote the process. I asked, it was a project, writer, I asked so many questions <laughs> to make sure when we're on our own, I've got every little bit captured and then I had to I had a four week notice at work so Bruce left before um, moved to the Midlands before I did I was here on my own and I remember him ringing saying I've, I've just spent three days distilling it, it, it doesn't taste it doesn't taste right and I'm just thinking awful. how we there were two things one how much has that just cost us mm. because we've got all this liquid sitting there Two, what are we going to do? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he just spent most of the life savings from the house into this yeah. thing here. I've got all the gear, no idea what am I doing here. And uh, when Ali Kelsey came along, oh my gosh, he just kept asking questions, trying to figure it out. And he's like, no, no, we'll start again to get to the end point as opposed to look at the recipe as it is now. He said, look, we know what it's supposed to taste like. Let's work backwards. And oh my Lord, when in terms of like, 
ingredient. He started giving us the mindset of how the big distilleries run. Mm-hmm. We uh, went from what the amount of spices we were using down to a third. Wow. And the amount of ghee. So we put pure butter ghee, the, the lassi gin, because we wanted to make it creamy and smooth. Just like when our parents make a spicy dish, they'd always add a spoonful of ghee, take the edge off. Yeah. And we thought sometimes you get spirits that got that harsh burn. So we thought, how do we take that off? And we thought, well, let's use ghee. And at one point, we were using almost 20 kilos of ghee for 200 bottles. Now, ghee is not cheap. And the prices are never stable on ghee. It's like the stock market's up and down. Really? And <laughs> we went from 20 kilos of ghee down to about two. Come on, Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> This is actually affordable business now. <laughs> we, we could make some money. <laughs> it's like oh, wow. Ali was just talking about saturation points, and there's only so much like fat washing you you can add to it before it does nothing. It's, it, I, then I likened it to putting moisturizer, I guess, on my skin. Mm-hmm. So I, I could put loads and loads, but there's got to be a certain point. My skin's going to be like, thanks, I don't yeah, need anymore. <laughs> it's just going to sit there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, so I was just like, so we so for from the moment we started distilling ourselves, we've still got the binder. We spent an entire year of manually distilling. And every five minutes, we would write down the temperature, what's happening with the vacuum, what temperature is the chiller, what temperature is the water bath. We've got all the records to now we can start automating things. And now now we're pretty competent, I would say. (laughs) I I think what was a good sign of we're doing stuff right was when the company, so the company that manufactures a company called Buki. So they're the inventors of this equipment, rotary evaporators. So when they would send their rep, send their local managers around, they were like, Look at the spreadsheets. We don't think, oh my God, what have you done here? And I was thinking, oh, <laughs> have we made another mistake? What's going on? And they were like, you're the first people outside of science and chemistry labs that are actually recording stuff. I was, is that a bad thing? <laughs> they go, no, it's good. They go, we've never seen another place do that. Yeah. And they realized that we're doing stuff the way we're supposed to do it. And they were confused as to why we did that. I go, because it's been our life savings. Yeah. It better be right. <laughs> Otherwise, we're just wasting money. And I think from that, it kind of builds a lot of confidence because we were always thinking, we're just, we're just winging it here. And then we realized, oh, actually, we know what we're doing. <laughs> so it's kind of, it's a nice little kind of nod to know that we're doing it correctly. Oh, good. But one thing I'm getting, hearing this wonderful story my mind was brought back to a, a phrase my grandmother always said, where there's a will, there's a way. Oh, yes. And just hearing all these challenges you've been through, you've been able to pick yourselves back up. Just from the instinct, it seems, that you have within yourself to just keep going. And you started not knowing anything about this industry. And now, you know, you've been so successful. And just this story is so inspiring. It really is. Because I think a lot of people are scared to just do things because, oh, well, I don't know anything about it or, you know, I'm not an expert, so I won't do it. And so where there's a will, there's a way and you definitely have found your way. I love that. Yeah. Thank you. That that I think we just couldn't, every time I guess something went wrong, we couldn't let that be the end of the story. Mm. And it goes back to that Indian takeaway <laughs> that Friday night. I, if I'm going to complain that that doesn't represent my culture, what am I going to do about it? Yeah. I can't sit here and just moan. So for me, it transcends, it's, it's much bigger than the gin. Mm-hmm. The gin is the vehicle to tell the story, but the story is just about authenticity. It's taking people back to Punjab in northern India. It's about creating new identities. It's about pushing boundaries. And I always think about the first, like we were talking the other day, the first person that found mushrooms, the first person that thought, oh, if I take this spice and add it to that, 
this just works. And then we absolutely love Heston as well and the way his mind um, works. One of the things we did when we sold the house, we put a little bit of money to one side and we went to visit a couple of the restaurants we always wanted to. In fact, Duck was on there and Sat Baines was on there as well. And we, we just wanted to experience people that innovate, push flavour boundaries and make us see ordinary things in a different way. That's what it's about. We'll take a pause right there with Paramjit and Bruce, but be sure to tune in next time for part two of our conversation. While you wait, check out Crazy Jen's website at www.crazyco.uk. To follow the company on Instagram, you can find them at Team Crazy Co. Paramjit's Instagram is at The Crazy Core, spelled K-A-U-R. And Bruce's Instagram is at The Crazy Sing, spelled S-I-N-G-H. Be sure to follow and subscribe and rate and review Lick the Plate on the podcast platform of your choice. Lick the Plate can be followed on Instagram and TikTok at Lick the Plate Podcast. All information can be found in the episode description. This is your host, Cameron, inviting you to savor your memories and sip your curiosities. And if you decide to spill the tea, remember to serve it up with some good vibes on the side. See you next time for part two of this conversation right here on Lick the Plate.